Good morning and welcome students, faculty, staff, alumni, friends, those of you watching in overflow, those of you watching online around the country and even around the globe, welcome to the 62nd annual commencement exercises of Covenant College. Uh, before we begin the formal ceremony, architect and he is responsible for among many other things uh, around our campus the massive two-year-long disruptive 19.4 million dollar historic renovation of the exterior of Carter Hall there were many people who were involved in this project uh, donors fundraisers David would be the first person to tell you that he has a fantastic team of people uh, that work with him um, He's a humble guy, he would be quick to deflect praise, uh, which is appropriate, but instead I want to ask him today to reflect uh, some thanks. Uh, so I want to ask you all if you would please express our gratitude to David and through him uh, to all, many others who worked so faithfully and tirelessly on the Carter Hall Renovation Project by showing some, him some love and giving him a warm round of applause. This ceremony uh, this morning is about calling, many of you have heard me say it before, uh, the English word convocation derives from Latin, uh, vocare is to call, it's from the word from which we get the words vocal or vocation, and con is a prefix that means together. Um, so literally today, we are being called together to this place at this time uh, from near and far from many different cities and states and nations from many different backgrounds. As we're called together this morning, we are being reminded of what we together are called to, uh, reminded of our shared calling, uh, reminded of our common work and our common mission. Uh, new faculty, uh, for the first time, are formally and publicly affirming their calling to work and serve in this community. Returning faculty are reaffirming their calling to Christian scholarship and to service. Uh, both to you and through you to the church, to the body of Christ. Uh, you as students will affirm your calling to the peculiar and wonderful work of being a student in this place, uh, your calling to our shared educational endeavor. And all of us together are reminding our, ourselves of and affirming our sense of calling uh, to our shared work in this Christian academic community, uh, our calling to our shared life together, uh, our calling to explore and express the preeminence of Jesus Christ in all things. Um, this is a serious uh, and a joyous, uh, a God-honoring um, and a fun and good occasion. Uh, so, brothers and sisters, uh, let's get to work and let me begin by inviting uh, Dr. Alyssa Yukiko Whitebroat, uh, Assistant Professor of Art, to, off to offer our invitation. you join me in prayer. <clears throat> Almighty Father, your steadfast love extends to the heavens and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. 
And to you, O Lord, King of the universe, all of our hearts are open. You know everything stewing in us right now. You see the hearts that are anxious about what this year will bring and those that are thrilled to begin a new semester. You see the hearts that are exhaling in the security of a community who knows them, along with those who are already homesick and the ones who aren't sure if they belong here at all. You know those who arrive with burdens weighing them down and those who are trying to flee from brokenness. And we are all here, Father, and not one of us is outside of your will. So would you be present with us? Would you drive us to personal confession, secure in the promise of your forgiveness? Would you satisfy us with your unfailing love? Would your spirit take our broken tongues today, and as we pray and sing and make promises to each other and to you, would he make these offerings delightful? We cannot do what we want to do without you, but you, you can open our ears and prepare our hands and loose our tongues. Let us give and receive with humility. Let us long for justice to roll down like a river and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let us bear fruit from faithfulness. Grant us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the world to come, life everlasting. Amen. Sobre malos y buenos, y que llueva sobre justos e injustos, 
Si ustedes aman solamente a quienes los aman, ¿qué recompensa recibirán? ¿Acaso no hacen eso hasta los recaudadores de impuestos? Y si saludan a sus hermanos solamente, ¿qué demás hacen ustedes? ¿Acaso no hacen esto hasta los gentiles? Por tanto, sean perfectos así como su Padre Celestial es perfecto. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Our 2017 convocation address will be delivered by Dr. Kevin Eames, professor of psychology. Professor of Psychology and Director of Institutional Effectiveness here at Covenant College. Uh, Professor Eames has served on the faculty here since 2003. He holds a BA in History from Florida State University and an MS in Community Counseling and PhD in Counseling Psychology, both from Georgia State University. Prior to joining the Covenant College faculty, Dr. Eames served as Assistant Professor of Psychology and Director of Graduate Education at Dort College in Sioux Center, Iowa. He currently serves as an elder at St. Elmo Presbyterian Church, and he and his wife Lisa have one son and two daughters. Uh, their son Daniel is with the Lord. Hillary is a 2017 graduate of Covenant College, and Hannah is a member of the Covenant College class of 2021. Would you please join me in welcoming Professor Eames? Good morning. It's a pleasure to see all of you. Members of the board, President Halverson, members of the administration, my colleagues on faculty and staff, members of the Covenant community, and of course, Covenant students. Greetings and thank you for this honor of allowing me to address you. I'd like to take you back to your childhood you may remember the scene in the movie Mary Poppins where she sees uh, her charges, Michael and Jane, and she takes out a tape measure and measures them. Young Michael is extremely stubborn and suspicious, and Jane is rather inclined to giggle and doesn't put things away. When the children asked Mary Poppins to measure herself, she says, and you may remember this, she says, practically perfect in every way. And how else would somebody be measured who can talk to an umbrella, sit on a cloud, and take you to a magic chalk land where dancing penguins give you free food? <laughs> what would Mary Poppins' tape measure say if she measured you? For some of you, perhaps it would say something like, always striving for perfection or afraid of making mistakes. Mary Poppins aside, can we actually be practically perfect in every way? While we may try to give lip service to acknowledging our limitations, many of us devote a considerable amount of effort avoiding failure or the appearance of failure. Everything must be right. Everything must be flawless. Such efforts taken to an extreme are called perfectionism. Psychologists who study perfectionism claim it isn't about perfecting external things, like costumes, but about the need to perfect an imperfect self, or what we perceive to be an imperfect self. Contrary to popular opinion, perfectionism is not the engine that drives achievement and success. Instead, it's an effort to demonstrate through our achievements and appearance that we are good, worthwhile, and lovable people. 
These efforts begin early in life when our core beliefs are formed, and it leads us to make assumptions like, if I'm perfect, if I'm faultless, if I'm flawless, I won't be rejected or ridiculed. I'll be loved and accepted. All my needs will be met and good things will happen. What's really happening in these conditional statements is a desperate attempt to hide our flawed selves and avoid shame. Shame and perfectionism are two sides of the same coin. Perfectionism is an attempt to counter a profound sense of inadequacy that makes us feel ashamed. So how does this all square with the passage of scripture that Dr. Stabaugh just read? Jesus exhorts us to love our friends and enemies by saying, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus' listeners would have known that he was making a reference to passages in the Old Testament, telling the people of Israel, basically, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. By encouraging us to perfection, Jesus isn't suggesting that we should live a sinless life in this age that we'll be able to before death. Such a notion is contradicted by the full counsel of God's word from 1 Kings 8, where Solomon asserts that there is one, no one who does not sin to the book of John, where he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And actually that's 1 John, but I did that on purpose because then I could be imperfect. <laughs> what then did Jesus mean by this command? According to one commentator, perfect means brought to completion, full grown, lacking in nothing. Later in Matthew, Jesus summed up the law and the prophets, and you all know this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Being perfect is therefore not being satisfied with an immature or incomplete love that is demonstrated in cold legalism or empty rituals like the Pharisees. It is in fact seeking however finitely to imitate the infinite love that God shows to all, the just and the unjust alike. Notice that the kind of perfection to which Jesus refers in Matthew 5.48 does not refer to our own achievements. In fact, our ability to achieve the kind of love that completes us in Christ is entirely dependent on him. We can no more take credit for our ability to love than to make the moon rise on command. The kind of perfectionism that afflicts many of us is the opposite of the kind of love to which Jesus refers. It presumes our ability to act apart from the grace of God. And when we can't measure up, we are unwilling to show ourselves the compassion and mercy God exhorts us to show to others. We can't treat ourselves with the self-compassion that we're called to treat others. Instead, it creates a feedback loop where we strive more, we fail more, experience shame, and that compels us to strive harder, like a hamster on a wheel. Perfection becomes a tyrannical idol that sets excessively high and unreasonable demands for performance and is ruthlessly unforgiving when we inevitably fail. Even though we know mistakes are going to happen, the tyrant is relentless in use of the words like should, must, or ought, followed by the words never or always. For example, you should always say yes to others so they'll like you. Or you must never be unprepared so you don't look dumb. This tyrant is the leech of Proverbs 30 who has two daughters, give and give. It's the fire that is never quenched. The author Brene Brown defies perfectionism as a self-destructive and addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought. If I look perfect and do everything perfectly, 
I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. So not only drives us to be perfect, but demands that others be perfect as well. It assumes that others expect perfection from us, leading us to appear perfect and never admitting to our flaws. In so many ways, perfection is like an addiction, but it doesn't have the euphoria that you get with addiction. With addiction, you start off with euphoria and end up with craving. With perfectionism, you skip right to the craving. We crave how it provides camouflage for our sense of inadequacy. We crave the illusion of control it provides. It deceives us by insisting that there really is an ideal career, an ideal church, an ideal partner, an ideal life, and even an ideal self. Perfectionism and the gospel are opposite of one another. They are antithetical. Perfectionism insists that the only way we can reconcile the profoundly shameful sense that we are worthless and contaminated is through repeated perfect performances. A biblical sense of shame, however, acknowledges our contamination from sin and our desperate neediness that brings us to the foot of the cross in repentance. Our shame is imputed to Christ. As Paul wrote, he made him who know no sin to be sin for our behalf so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. We were inadequate, but we now have adequacy in Christ because we can do all things through him who strengthens us. We were contaminated by sin, but now we have been washed, we have been sanctified, we have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. In an excessive and unbiblical sense of shame fails to acknowledge the image of God, which we all bear. We are made in God's image and this affords us dignity and value that is inherent in our status as created beings. Shame shows itself in a pervasive and ongoing sense of sometimes savage self-judgment and the expectation of judgment from others. With this unbiblical shame comes the terror of discovery. When we believe ourselves to be worthless, contaminated, and, and unlovable, we hide our vulnerabilities from others. Like our first parents, we cloak ourselves in fig leaves of achievements in order to avoid the gaze of the other who sees us as we really are. This is why so many of us have the fear of failure. Failure is an announcement to the world that we are incompetent and inadequate. And this is often rooted in the mistaken idea that we have a finite amount of ability or intelligence or charm. This idea, psychologists refer to as a fixed mindset. It tells us that we only have a certain amount of whatever it is we value, and we have to work really hard to protect it. The process of sanctification contradicts this fixed mindset. Sanctification implies that God believes we can grow and change. It's the process whereby God enables us increasingly to die to sin and live to righteousness. It's a lifelong process through which we develop godly disposition and affections. It involves ongoing learning, mistakes, repentance, and persevering in the faith. The more we grow in Christ, the greater your desire will be to develop your abilities and talents to honor God and serve his kingdom, but not hide yourself. This belief, psychologists call a growth mindset. Christians use that term too, but we also call it being conformed to the image of his son. So how does all this apply to perfectionism? Sanctification presumes an ongoing lifelong experience of error and improvement, but perfectionism is a redundant effort to maintain what you can't maintain on your own without acknowledging what God has already done on your behalf. It contradicts our own neediness for redemption. It disagrees with God that we are broken 
and cannot be perfect from him, apart from him. It seeks to add to the already completed work of Christ on the cross. In order for us to be accepted, to be loved, we have to go to the foot of the cross and somehow we think adding our own perfectionistic performance as if we could tack it on to the cross and say, here Jesus, even though your death is sufficient, here's my A on the geography test. And we should all realize how abhorrent that would be. So, acknowledging our imperfection, acknowledging our neediness, has benefits. First and foremost, it agrees with God's view of us that we desperately need Jesus. It encourages us to cheerfully recognize that we are really worse off than we thought, but profoundly grateful that he is eager to cover over the worst of our sin with his blood. Second, it allows us to stop hiding. We can take off the fig leaf. If you look to your left and to your right, or you look up here where we're all hiding, hiding in these robes, you'll see imperfect people. I wonder what would happen if instead of saying, hi, how's it going, how you doing, we greeted each other by saying, so how have you been imperfect today? Some of us would pretend to be hard of hearing. A third benefit is to find value in mistakes. Mistakes are wonderful teachers if you have the sufficient ego strength to learn from them. Many of you know that Thomas Edison, story has been told a lot, went through multiple iterations before he finally got the light bulb, thankfully. He made a thousand unsuccessful attempts and a reporter asked him, how did it feel to fail a thousand times? And of course, Edison had a growth mindset and he said, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention of a thousand steps. A fourth benefit is an escape from procrastination. For many perfectionists, they can't begin something unless they can be assured they can do it perfectly. Yet the deadline is looming and the undone assignment hangs overhead like an overripe mango. Thought I was going to say something else, didn't I? In graduate school, one of my professors told me the best dissertation is a done dissertation. So the same may be for you. The best book report is a done book report. And yes, the best sip is a done sip. Now, before my colleagues behind me think I'm encouraging you to mediocrity, I am confident that most of you are conscientious and strive to do good work. You don't need permission to slack off, but you do need permission to be satisfied with good work. I often tell my students that sometimes good enough is good enough. Now that's not an exhortation to laziness or slipshod work. In fact, it's the acknowledgement that obsessive preoccupation with perfect work is unhealthy. Give me eight hours of sleep and an 88 instead of an all-nighter and a 100, I'll be happier and healthier, and I'll take my 88 as an opportunity to celebrate my imperfection. Will God love me any less because I got an 88? Of course not. Silly question. Good enough is search that we've done our work heartily as to the Lord and are willing to acknowledge that while good, it may not be perfect. We may have to accept that doing our best doesn't always equate to superior, superior results. So if you're counting the fifth benefit, and this is the last one, and I'm almost done, is rest. Perfectionism actually allows you, imperfectionism, excuse me, allows you to rest. People who deal with perfectionism are also often afflicted by eating disorders, anxiety, depression, and suicidal thinking. It makes relationships difficult, 
full of conflict and lacking in any kind of intimacy. It's exhausting to pretend to be what you're not, even if you've convinced yourself that with enough effort, grit, and obsessiveness, you can achieve perfection, you'll disappoint yourself, you'll ruin relationships, and you'll break your heart in the process. So strive to be genuine about your imperfection, be honest with yourselves and others about your shortcomings, show compassion to yourselves and to others, giving them the same grace God has shown you. Let mistakes be your tutors, do good work, and be still and know that he is God. Let's be grateful for our imperfections, for humbling us and reminding us that we all need a savior. Our identity is not in our own performance, but it's in his perfection. Amen. Let's lift our voices together and sing the hymn of 4,000 Tongues to Sing. Would you guys please stand? State University and of both a BS in mathematics, summa cum laude, and a BA in music, also summa cum laude, from Mercer University. Dr. Sears' dissertation was entitled On S Semi Permutable Subgroups of Simple Groups. I'll let you ask him later what that means. As a teaching assistant at Florida or at the University of Florida, he was awarded two math department graduate student teaching awards. Uh, he is also an accomplished saxophonist and pianist. 
Our second new professor uh, is Dr. Heath Garris, Assistant Professor of Biology. Many of you know Dr. Garris already. He joined the Covenant Community in the fall of 2016 as a visiting professor of biology and was recently appointed to the rank of assistant professor. He earned his PhD in integrated bioscience from the University of Akron and an MS in biology from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. He completed his undergraduate studies at Furman University, earning a BS in biology. Uh, prior to coming Covenant, he was an associate graduate instructor and postdoctoral fellow at Thompson Rivers University in British Columbia. Uh, he and his wife Ashley have two young daughters. Third new faculty member this year is Mr. Brian Hecker, reference librarian. Professor Hecker is a Scot, a 2006 Covenant College graduate with a degree in philosophy. He also holds an MA in Historical Theology from Westminster Theological Seminary in California and an MLIS, that's a Master of Library and Information Science from the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Professor Hecker is coming to us from a position as Circulation Librarian at Gateway Seminary in Ontario, California. He has also served in various capacities at other libraries, including Westminster Seminary, California. Fourth new faculty member this year is Dr. David Psyche, Associate Professor of Chemistry. <laughs> professor Psyche is coming to us from Cal State Bakersfield, where he served as Associate Professor of Chemistry and is the Vice Chair of the Chemistry Department. He received his PhD in Physical Chemistry from the University of California at Davis and his BS in chemistry from Westmont College, also in California. He and his wife, Sarah, have three elementary-aged children. The Psyches are Californians, and hence are embarking on a significant cross-cultural experience here on the government. <laughs> uh, finally, Mr. Mark Slavovsky, Assistant Professor of Accounting. Professor Slavovsky is a Covenant College alumnus who majored in business with a concentration in accounting. He earned his Master of Taxation from the University of Tulsa in Oklahoma. He is a CPA and has worked most recently at JHM Public Accountants as a tax manager. He's a member of St. Elmo Presbyterian Church where he serves as the church treasurer. Uh, many of you already know his wife Claire who serves as an adjunct professor in our theater department and who directed Hamlet uh, here on our campus last fall. Now that I've introduced those folks to you, uh, I would like to um, ask them a few questions and ask for their response. Uh, so to you, the new members of the Covenant College faculty, do you acknowledge the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God, inerrant in the original writings, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you? I do. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the doctrinal standards of Covenant College as embodying the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? Do you? Do you believe that you've been induced to seek the office of faculty member in this college from love to God and a sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? Do you? Do you willingly assume the responsibilities of a faculty member in this college in agreement with your declaration when you accept its call? And do you promise to discharge the duties of a member of this faculty as God shall give you strength? Do you? Welcome the Covenant College faculty, I would like to invite Jeff Hall, Vice President for Academic Affairs, to offer a prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you now in a spirit of celebration and expectation. We are encouraged by your bringing into our community these your servants. As they are installed today, they have accepted a call to a place of high responsibility and privilege and we would beseech you on their behalf to hold them close and to use them mightily for your work and for your kingdom. Without your aid, we all would be destined to become self-reliant, proud, and rebellious in our work. We pray that these professors and our entire community would always walk, would always seek the giver rather than the gifts. Please allow the truth and the joy of your gospel to be evident in this place, and may Jesus be preeminent in all we do. We pray specifically for our new colleagues.
for Professor Sear, that he may encourage students in the world of numbers and symbols and formulae, so that they may have a greater sense of the complexity and design of the material world while they devise solutions for real and imagined problems. For Professor Garris, that he may introduce students to the knowledge and mystery of life within your created order, learning to exercise dominion with care, grace, and dignity. For Professor Hecker, that he might facilitate access to and reflection about the vast stores of information that seem so readily available in this age. May he move us to be people of knowledge and wisdom rather than people who are simply well-informed. <coughs> For Professor Psyche, that he may aid us in understanding the material world with a sense of wonder regarding the design and structures of elements and compounds that you have used to make everything we see. For Professor Slavatsky, that he may help us know the systems of stewardship from the world of accounting so that we may be faithful to manage carefully the resources that you entrust to us. We celebrate with great joy these friends added to our number. We pray that you would give faculty members and students a special welcoming spirit of hospitality toward them. May these new colleagues feel welcomed as our brothers, challenge our community with their gifts, and above all, let a love grow between and among all of us, testifying that we belong to your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Would you please join me in welcoming these, these new members of our faculty? You'll see next in your program uh, that we have a, a uh, charge from the Board of Trustees. Unfortunately, our board chair, uh, Dick Bowser, is unable to be here. His father-in-law uh, passed away recently, and so he is with his wife in Pennsylvania for funeral services. Uh, but I am delighted uh, to welcome, uh, to deliver a charge from the trustees, uh, Dr. J. Render Keynes. Uh, Dr. Keynes and his wife, Linda, uh, both graduated from Covenant College in 1969. Dr. Keynes received his MDiv from Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia and his D-Min from Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis. He has served in several pastoral positions in his career and was the organizing pastor for Covenant Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee in 1988. He served there as senior pastor until his retirement in 2015. Dr. Keynes began his service on the Covenant College Board of Trustees in 1985 and has served the college in that capacity. And I will add, he has served it well in that capacity for a total of 28 years. Uh, he and Linda have six grown children, all of whom attended Covenant, four of whom are graduates. They have 27 grandchildren, one of whom has now joined the ranks of the Scots in recent years. Uh, thank you, Dr. Keynes, for bringing the charge from the Board of Trustees. Would you all please welcome Brenda Keynes. Having played uh, baseball here at Covenant for four years, I know what it is to pinch hit. <laughs> so on behalf of the Board of Trustees, this is my charge. Give it your best shot. That's what Paul's doing at the end of Colossians 1 and the beginning of Colossians chapter 2. He's giving it his best shot his best shot to fulfill his God-given task of proclaiming the truth about Christ. And like Paul, the faculty will be giving it their best shot to fulfill their God-given task to assist you in gaining the wisdom you need to mature in your understanding of the faith so that you might know how to think and to live. Like Paul, the faculty will give it their best shot in helping you gain the riches that come from understanding that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, interestingly, 
as we talk to you about giving it your best shot, Paul tells us in these verses that that's a struggle. He tells us that he is struggling to give it his best shot. But he also immediately adds that even as he struggles to give it his best shot, he is being strengthened by the Lord who is powerfully working in and through him. Like Paul, like your professors, they will struggle. Your professors will struggle in the Lord's strength to give it their best shot in fulfilling their God-given tasks. And now you also have a God-given task. The task, the glorious, wonderful, amazing task to which God has called you at this moment in your life, has called you here, is to prepare for a life of service to the Lord and to his church and to the world. And like Paul, like this faculty, you're going to often, you're going to often struggle to meet the challenge of giving it your best shot, of giving it your best shot to fulfill your God-given purpose at this moment in your life. But like Paul and like the faculty, I want you to know that as you struggle to give it your best shot, you can do so with the confidence of knowing that the Lord will supply the energy you need. He promises to powerfully strengthen you to meet this great task to which he has now called you. And so, as a representative of the Board of Trustees and on their behalf, I charge you, like Paul, like this faculty, for the sake of our Lord, for your sake, for the sake of this world, I charge you, in his strength, give it your best shot. The Dean of Records will now introduce the new students. Would all the new students please stand? these new students to the faculty and staff of Covenant College and certify that they've met the, uh, the requirements for matriculation to the degree programs at Covenant College. As you guys can tell, we're happy that you're here. And along with the rest of our <clears throat> community, I welcome you to Covenant College, confident that he who has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, would the rest of you please stand? And let's join together in affirming our commitment to one another and to the work that we together are called to here at Covenant College. Would you please join me in reading responsibly the ceremony of commitment that's found in your program? Do not deceive yourselves. The wisdom of this world is foolishness in the sight of God. The Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are useless. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show them my good life, by my deeds done in humility and wisdom. 
But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be arrogant or deny the truth. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. known the mind of the Lord or has taught him anything. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name. And under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It was Christ who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become sure, attaining the full measure of perfection found in Christ. Let's join our voices together now and sing the college hymn, All for Jesus.
Ross, professor of sociology, to close us in prayer. Please join me in prayer. Living God, we're gathered here today under an ambitious school motto, Covenant College and all things Christ preeminent. It's on our sign, it's on our letterhead, it's there for all the world to see, and we know it well. Our motto proclaims a lofty goal, one too lofty for us, for it is one that we cannot keep. When we look at our lives individually and collectively, we see so many ways in which we've failed to live out this motto, so many ways in which our lives have failed to manifest your preeminence in all things. And here we are at the beginning of a new year, setting out once again to live out our convictions, to reaffirm our motto and our commitment to it in this place and in this world. Lord Jesus, as we strive to bear witness to your preeminence, to your lordship in our lives, to your lordship over all creation, we ask that your spirit rest upon us, directing and encouraging us. In the face of a world that more than ever seems mired in impossibly difficult and overwhelming problems, help us not to grow discouraged, to give up, or to turn inward. Most of all, help us to avoid the trap of thinking of ourselves as preeminent, for that is easy to do, and that is the way of the world. Rather, help us to pour out, to practice generosity for the sake of others, and to empty ourselves. For it is when we are empty of the things of this world that your preeminence is most evident in our lives. May our lives here and in this place simply bear witness to Emmanuel, God with us. When you are with us, we can approach this year and the tasks before us with confidence and anticipation of good things. When you are with us and by your grace, we can even begin to live out our school motto. Our God, we thank you for the new students who've joined us here. We're grateful for their presence and we look forward to the sharing of knowledge and the fellowship we will enjoy with them. I pray that this place, that we will be welcoming to our new members. And as many are away from familiar home environments for the first time, I pray that this place will quickly feel familiar, nurturing, and supportive. And I pray that all who are here will find friendship, that no one here will feel marginal, out of place, or uncared for. For our lives must reflect your preeminence when we care for one another. I thank you for the students who return to us. We continue to be amazed and delighted by the faith, abilities, and sense of calling among our students. Nurture those things you've begun in them and continue to move them further along those paths to which you've called them. Open them to delight in the learning that awaits them this semester as they explore new features of your good creation. Thank you for our faculty and staff and for the administrators and board members and so many others like alumni and parents who make this place what it is. It's through the frequently unseen and often sacrificial efforts by these people that we're reminded of your preeminence. Thank you for our various friendships here, for our camaraderie. O oh Lord, as we leave this convocation, energize us, make our paths straight, give us faith, walk with us through the joys and trials of the upcoming year, and continue to show us your grace and mercy as you've so faithfully done in the past, that in all things you, Lord Jesus Christ, may have the preeminence. It is in your name that we gather, and it is in your name that we head out to begin this new year. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um.